Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Todd Sheets, director of Moonchild. It's very cool to have you back. Man, it's great to be here, brother, and I'm I'm very excited about it. Thank you for uh, for always supporting guys like me. You know, independent guys and and people who really do need that support and who really count on it because you guys, all you guys that do these shows are so important to what we do because you get the word out. You uh, we promote our hard work and uh, you make it worth doing because what's the point of making a movie if no one sees it? Yeah, and no one talks about it. But it is, um, I get a lot of uh, screeners doing the show, which is cool. And, you know, some of them uh, aren't the best. So I don't, I don't, I just don't focus on those. But when you see something that's fun, it's cool to, to talk about it and, uh, you know, try to get the word of mouth out and hope people check it out. Yeah, we definitely appreciate you, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. So Moonchild's interesting. It's coming out October 11th from uh, Wild Eye's Visual Vengeance, part of Wild Eye. And what's cool about it is you shot it in 94, uh, a shot on video film. Yeah, it was. Um, it's kind of weird how much love this movie has. And I, I'm so honored that people are still talking about it from 94 to now. I mean, the, the Alamo Draft House, even a couple years, about a year before the pandemic hit, decided they were going to do a tour and put Moonchild in all their theaters around the country and brought us out to do Q and A's, uh, Augie, the lead and I, and, uh, I just, you know, I went in the Alamo draft house before that a few years. Cause I'm a fan of the one in Austin and everywhere. And I went in there to use a bathroom and Moonchild posters in there on the wall. And I was like, wow, this is weird. And, uh, it was really exciting to see my poster in there. And, uh, then a, a year later they decided they were going to do a tour of this movie. And wow, it was, it was really, um, it, it, it was amazing. It was such an honor and it really made my heart, you know, just, you feel full because you're like, wow, man, this little movie that I made hoping to, to maybe, you know, entertain a few people. Like I was entertained as a kid with yeah. B movies and stuff became something and actually enter, entertained some people. I was like, this is great. So yeah, it's surprising that, uh, it's had, and I think maybe it's the storyline, you know, it's kind of an original story and, uh, there's never been anything else like it. And the fact that we, against all odds, <laughs> did this thing, uh, there's no reason why it should have worked because we had like about 35 cents to make this movie. Right. And somehow it did work. And I don't really even know. You don't know how sometimes. You're just glad it did. You yeah. know. I'll be honest, going in, I didn't know what to expect, you know, reading about it. And uh, not just because you hear anything. It's a really fun, uh, right from the beginning. There's a charm to it. Now, I graduated in 94, so I remember the year. And uh, there's a charm to it. And not just that, though. like Because uh, it reminded me of some things that I used to see like from friends of mine of that era. But it's also uh, better made than, than some of that stuff from that era. And also, this is not like a backhanded compliment. Um, but you can tell that everyone in it is they're trying their best to make something. And, uh, you know, they're not trying to make something cheesy. They're trying to make something really good. And that comes through and it comes through that everyone's having a good time. You know, I really appreciate that because that's one of the biggest things I, you know, a lot of people don't realize, but there are so many people who pour their lives into this stuff. This one. And I remember violent new breed was our big, which will also be coming out uh, later on through visual vengeance. That was like our next evolution as far as big epics, because we, we wanted to tell these epic stories and people read the script and believed in it. And uh, none of us, I still never taken a salary all my career to this day. 
And um, a lot of people didn't take salaries. We, you know, rounded up our money as best we could and did this on our own. And you're right. The, without the people involved, like the crew and the cast and all those costumes that had to be made and all the logistics of, you know, blowing stuff up and trying to, it, it was kind of a, a, a hell, but we didn't even know it was a hell because we were having so much fun creating this and trying to do something that everyone told us we would never be able to do that had uh and maybe we were just too naive or gullible to, to realize we really shouldn't have been able to pull it off sure. but we did it with you're right 100 percent passion man the, the, from the actors all the way through to you know every single person even the person that just like did dust on people like did the dirt you know, that was real dirt. We, <laughs> we had a thing of dirt they would brush on and it, and it was kind of spray some water on first. So it would kind of stick better. And yeah, I mean, it, it, all of these things were, were really, it's because we really loved it and we really wanted to entertain people. That's the key. Kind of like what you said, you know, the putting on a show kind of mentality. Yeah. And like, um, we've talked about there, like uh, maybe even too dumb or whatever. Like, uh, I think that's something when you're younger, when you're very young, especially, um, like you, you have a fight scenes on the back of a moving truck, which I know it's not going hundred miles an hour, but still it's not going to be safe to do. And you're probably not going to do it when you get older. And like, not only <laughs> think about yourself, you're like, well, I don't want to put my friends in this position and, you know, maybe they fall off the car or, or whatever. But, uh, what was that even like to film? I think even at the time when you, you, you're young, you have to be like, this is probably maybe not the, the wisest idea. Well, we're so nuts, man. The thing was, we were doing about 40. That was like our top speed. But yeah. we uh, we we loved doing that so much that when we made Violent New Breed two years later in 96, mm-hmm. we upped the ante. And not only do they fight in the back of a truck, they fight on the hood, the top of a car, <laughs> uh-huh. then jump over into the truck, and then jump back to the car. This crazy stuff. I was laying in the middle of the road with my camera. And I was filming Moonchild, this fight scene, and they had Augie stretched across the two cars and the camera was coming, you know, and I wanted a shot where they come right at me and right over the top of the camera. It's going to be a great shot until he slipped and his foot flew down and nailed me right in the face. And I had to. So what I did was I went ahead and finished the shooting of that chase scene, turned around, told them to start setting up the next setups that we had to do the next and it was going to take about an hour to do setups so i ran down to the hospital and got stitches in the underneath (laughs) my lip and came back to the set (laughs) to finish it because um, that's how it was for us we we were like does it look good yes okay so now we got to make it even bigger and better for violent new breed we're going to have them jumping back and forth and it's going to be this and the guy's going to jump out of the back and have to be drugged down the street on the legs of this other guy who's hanging off the truck. And so we just always tried to up the ante because we were like, we have to compete with like really big budget stuff that looks so much better than us. We at least want to try to give people a thrill for their dollar. So yeah, we, uh, we tried to tell these great big goofy stories and, and you're right. It was incredibly complex. Actually, we had to get walkie talkies and, we had to, you know, we had all these vehicles and people on motorcycles and we had blanks and we had explosions happening. And so we had to really choreograph all of that between the cars and everything. And it, it took a, a, quite an afternoon to shoot. Big budget movies would take like a week or two to shoot that. We took like, you know, six hours, but maybe eight. But it was a it was a it was a good time. And, and it genuinely 
you like obviously I know you know, it's not uh, Mission Impossible or something, but it genuinely looks good. Like um, you think maybe we're explaining it looks like oh you know it's you could tell it's just a bunch of goofy you know kids doing something. No, it looks it looks really good, and you guys could you could tell that like you guys were putting effort into it. Well, I appreciate that because I think I've still got the scar underneath there to show. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we really did, uh, and and the the. The thing is, you got to realize, like with the guys involved, like the guys that were flying off on the ground and rolling them on, all that stuff. Yeah. We would just like pad everybody up with cardboard and maybe some hockey pads, and then we would like put their suits on over that, and uh, they would just do it. These guys aren't trained stuntmen, man. They just wanted to do it. They're like, "Hey, it'll be really cool if I flip off here." I'm like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> so then we just have to pad them up real good and maybe put a wig on a helmet or do something just to make sure they don't get beat up too bad, but. Man, at the end of the day, after that chasing, we were all pretty beat up and bloody and bruised. And we were all so happy that we had to go out and eat because it was just such a such a enormously uh, fulfilling feeling, you know, a success, to succeed at something like that. Yeah. Now, how the people in in your town, like your the other parents and just people around, did they, were they like used to you guys doing like a lot of this kind of thing? When we first started in Kansas City, we were told, you absolutely cannot make movies here. <laughs> and then every time we pulled out a camera, someone would call the police and tell them we were doing bad things. Like we were, one time we were shooting Zombie Rampage in the middle of the night. We had all these big movie lights out there, 2K lights. We were doing this. There's a camera crew. There's all this stuff. And people would go by and call the police and say we were breaking in the building that we were at. Mm -hmm. So the police would show up and go, well, why the hell would someone, obviously, what are you doing, documenting it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, we're documenting the break-in. That's what we're doing. <laughs> so it was like ridiculous. Uh, the Midwest mentality's changed now a little bit. It's still kind of weird. Like when we were filming recently, someone called the police saying that we were dragging a dead body into a creek. <laughs> but um, it's, it's weird because at that time, by the time we got to Moonchild, uh, we'd been making mu movies for quite a, about five years straight. And, uh, in Kansas City, and we'd made a lot of them. And so we'd had a lot of press like MTV and CBS, ABC, NBC. Wow. They had done a lot for Zombie Bloodbath. They helped us, gave us a lot of press because we were in the worst flood in the Midwest history in 1993. And we had, you know, zombies sandbagging and blocking the river after filming at night. We would go down and sandbag at four in the morning or five in the morning trying to stop the, uh, the water during the flood. And so we kind of got a lot of coverage. We didn't do it for that reason. We did it to try to help people, but, uh, it was kind of cool to say, Hey, these guys are making the zombie movie. And now all the zombies are sandbagging. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we got a lot of uh, support for that. And I was on the John Stewart show. So things by the time we got the Moonchild, people were like, Oh, it's those guys filming again. So they kind of knew, but still there were still those <laughs> that would want to call the police and say, there's these guys in the bottoms hot rod, and, and one of them, I think, is dead. And so right. the police would show up. They're like, man, you guys are just having a good time. And they got to where they would come on and just, like, get involved, too. They would hang out, and sometimes they would get in the scene or whatever. It was a, it, it became okay. But at first, it was really rough to do movies here. And we kind of really opened the door for all the cats that are out there shooting movies with their, their iPhone now. So it's kind of right. pretty right. cool that... We were able to do that. Yeah. So uh, at that time, then, so you, you get publicity, you know, and uh, John Stewart stuff. Um, where did where did you release Moonchild? Did it go to like Blockbuster or video stores? You it originally? did. It did on VHS. We did pretty well with Moonchild. It, it kind of we we released a whole series of 
what they called modern horror through uh, Inglewood Entertainment and uh, and of course various other distributors. We had sub distributors and we had Rent Track. We were in all the stores through Rent Track and a bunch of different things like that. But we had Zombie Bloodbath did really really well. Uh, you know, we moved about seventy thousand units worldwide to Zombie Bloodbath, and so we were starting to get our foot really firmly in the door of the VHS days, which was kind of like I said before the Wild West. It was kind of they needed product and we were there. Now, the early ones are, man, I'd kind of disown all those. But by the time I got to Moonchild, you know, from Zombie Bloodbath on, I'm, I keep those. I'm pretty proud of those. And I, you know, I understand they're not perfect, but we were trying to fill this with no money. And so, you know, we had made a bunch of movies that didn't do very well. So Zombie Bloodbath made, finally made some money that we could pay off all those old movies to all the people that helped us yeah. back in the day. And then Moonchild it was kind of an evolution of, of growth and it, it did pretty well. Uh, it was in video stores, it was in mom and pops, it was in blockbuster. And, uh, and we kind of kept going from there up until violent new breed. And then uh, that was about 96. Then we did fear of the dark and then things started changing in the market from VHS to DVD. Distributors were falling by the wayside. Things were getting weird. And, uh, but you know, we, we persevered, we stayed through it and we got distribution for those two. And when then, uh, you know, my friend was killed in, in 2005, I took a hiatus for about seven years and then came back with house of forbidden secrets. So, but we were there when it kind of all started with the VHS boom and, and, you know, we were starting movies in 88 and then we rode that wave all the way up until uh, 2005, we were making new product and getting it in stores and all over the world. And we were very lucky. I consider it a big honor that we were able to uh, to contribute to that time. Yeah. Now, I think probably, oh, not everyone, but a lot of people nowadays have like a base knowledge how, how you could edit something because you can even do a little bit of editing on your phone or, you know, you have Adobe products or whatever. You can edit something on your, on your computer. But how, how did you go about editing VH, you know, when you're shooting on video back in the 90s? Oh, my God. It was a nightmare. Uh, for, for, Moonchild, all the way up until pretty much, I believe, Violent New Breed, Zombie Bloodbath 2, they started to come out with a few nonlinear systems. But let me tell you, and that was around 96. But um, when we did Moonchild, I literally had the footage. I had two Super VHS units with flying erase heads. I didn't have even an edit controller. I couldn't afford one. So I sat down between these two Super VHS units, and I basically... <clears throat> use the pause button to edit those movies. And <laughs> right. that is the most insanely intricate night. The reason we use the flying erase head, because it got rid of those weird rainbows and glitches. So it looked clean, mm -hmm. but the timing you had to rewind and do it. If you messed up, you had to do it again. You had to do it again. You had to do it again. And then, uh Oh, you've messed up the tape. So now you got to start from scratch. Oh man. It was a nightmare doing it that way because with an edit controller, at least you could put an endpoint and, hit it and it would do it perfectly for you but we didn't have that luxury at that time so moonchild and zombie ramp or zombie bloodbath those all those early movies were done between these two units then when we needed to film look it because it got on the movie channel uh played moonchild uh it was owned by showtime wow. and so but to get it in there we had to film look the thing so we had this thing called a video toaster made by amiga and so we took the tape and it, it was, it was one generation loss, which at least it was super VHS. So it wasn't a total 
it didn't look totally bad. And then we, we were able to bump that through the video toaster system onto Betacam SP, which is the highest quality at that time. It was broadcast TV quality. And the funny thing was those tapes are huge. They're like, if, if you took four VHS tapes and hooked them together, that's about the size of these Betacam SP tapes. And a lot of, it's not the same as the beta tapes you use at home. These are like, these would had like 750 lines of resolution or some ungodly thing. And that's what they used to master laser discs. So we were able to take our master and bump it up to that and make it look a little bit better going through the system while also giving it a slight flicker, just ever so slight. You wouldn't even notice enriching, changing the colors to make them look more like uh, cinema colors and then um, changing the frame rate. So it would be slightly less, it wouldn't look like a soap opera. It would give it a little bit of a more staggered look like an actual film. This film is 24 frames per second and video is 30. And so we would do that for our final master. And that's how we got our foot in the door of where, because it looked like, well, what'd they shoot this on? It might've been film. They might've shot this on 16 or something. So we, uh, we kind of, pulled a wool on that one but it, it did make the movie look better and ultimately that's what I, I wasn't trying to pull the wool i just wanted it to look more like a real movie mm-hmm. and so that's what we were trying to do on a lot of those and uh, and it worked we got moonchild and we got violently breed both on the movie channel so it kind of worked out yeah and now another thing about like today like you could you, there's endless tutorials you go on youtube and um you know maybe you're not going to be a master at it but you can learn basics how to do a lot of these things but, uh, you know, then there's no internet. So how did you even like go about like, like how to, to learn how to do any of this stuff? Uh, really trial and error. I started in super eight film and when you don't have enough light on super eight film, you get back something that looks like an equivalent of a guy holding a match walking around a room because, uh, it's absolutely black almost, except for you can kind of see movement, but not really. Uh, I shot a few super eight, uh, projects with my friends, like, Frankenstein movies or science fiction, you know, shoot 'em up space movies. And when we got them back, man, they were almost, there was almost no image. It was so dark. So I learned you got to overlight everything. And then, you know, if it's too bright, you iris down in the camera. I learned about that stuff. It just from trial and error. And uh, another thing, there wasn't as many books as there are now. Like, right. you know, later on, film directing shot by shot came out, which is the Bible of directors, I think. I mean, that thing really helped because it taught me a lot of the basics, like, you know, the line of action and, and uh, you know, the director's line and this and that, and, you know, how to compose shots. All that stuff wasn't around when we first started because there were a few books about making movies, but eventually... By the time like Violent New Breed came out, we had film directing shot by shot, how to, you know, making a, a good movie at used car, low budget movies at used car prices, stuff like that. We found a lot of these cool books and uh, I started reading everything I get my hands on and watching as many movies as possible just to get better at composition. And and if it looked, you know, on my camera like it like I, it, I wanted it to look in my head, then I felt like I succeeded and um I, I quickly learned how to do that. Not really quickly. It took me a long time, but it's uh, and I'm still learning because every, every movie you do is a learning experience. And if it's not, it's a wasted day of your life. I think as an artist, because uh, every day on the set, I learned something new to this day. I, anyone that says they're a master of cinema doesn't know what yeah. they're talking about because you're, you're not ever going to be a master. It's just always evolving. And back then, that was one of the coolest things was because we were kind of evolving by pretty big steps 
between movies at that time. Uh, we were we were really, you know, consuming everything we could. Plus, I was getting good guidance. Uh, David Dakota was uh, a mentor of mine, and he would watch stuff and give me guidance on what to do and how to fix it. Uh, J.R. Bookwalter, uh, who in turn was working with Sam Raimi, and all of us, you know, I worked with George Romero. I worked on Child's Play 3. I was learning from doing other things, and everything I could do was like eating cinema just to learn the craft and to try to because I wasn't trying to make terrible movies. They just turned out that way. And so I was trying to make sure that people would, would quit concentrating on how awful it is and start paying attention yeah. to the story. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I know you said that in jest, but I, I think um, movies that set out to be so bad, they're good or whatever. To me, that always fails. Uh, if, uh, if a movie you, if you could tell they were really trying their best to make the movie great, and it's you know maybe not the best, but it's fun. I, that is that has that is a special charm. I think. I, I I would agree with that. Just on my own personal favorites too. You know, even the original Evil Dead. Of course, yeah. Sam is so incredibly talented that uh, he he made this movie that my God changed horror cinema. Yeah. I think and it but, definitely has a camp feel to it. But you but they were you know trying to make a great movie. Which, well, they were trying to scare the heck out of you. Yeah. And, uh, Right, because it is billed uh, as like the scariest movie you've ever seen, or, or something like that. Yeah, that first one, and uh, I think later the more their humor came out, but that first one was really trying to scare the hell out of you, and the humor came out of the fact that they just didn't have all the all the things they needed to do it properly, and that's kind of what happened with a lot of us. We, uh, you know, we didn't, we just wanted to be, and and the the more I started making movies, and the better I got at it, the more I wanted to not just throw blood at everything i wanted to actually tell a story i wanted to be yeah. a storyteller i mean that was the whole goal of making these was to entertain people with a good story but you know when you first start it's like let's gross it's like herschel yeah. and lewis movies were my big inspiration and i'm like right. you know i love herschel but they're not the deepest on thought i 100 so, <laughs> i'm a big herschel gordon lewis fan i was happy to have on the show a few times but yeah, they're not necessarily the greatest movies, but I, I love them nonetheless. I do too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and Herschel and I were friends and we actually wrote the first script for blood piece two together. Oh, wow. Which I, I always told that deer in my heart that I was able to do that with him. Yeah. And, I love uh, that. But wait, it was going to be just like the others. It was just like, that's everything. Cause we never discussed like nuance of character or plot. <laughs> All we discussed was how can we gross people out? And like Bart Simpson, just sitting there wringing our hands, going, hey, they're going to wait till they see this, you know, just being <laughs> little goofy kids almost. But yeah. that was, that's how it began. And uh, then as you grow, you're like, man, I, I really, I want to tell a cool story. Let me, let me figure out how to do that. in with like a dollar and 25 cents, let me, let me try to tell people a good story. And then we, by the time we got to Moonchild, I think we were starting to kind of get on the path and, uh, Violent New Breed continued it, Whispers in the Gloom. We were like the first micro-budget film to ever do full CGI. I'm not a big CGI fan, but for Whispers in the Gloom, which is about alien invasion and these creatures, we kind of had to do like CGI spaceships and uh, a couple of CGI alien guys. Some of them were practical, but the, like some of them, it was no way like the meatball monster guy. We couldn't just make that. So, But we did all that stuff back in the day on these machines that could barely even handle it. Like doing an animation of the one monster took two days to render a full right. 48 hours, you yeah. know? And I remember uh, doing very short little animations, even not, I don't know, 20 years ago. And it would, I'd have to leave my computer on for, for like seven days to do. You know, <laughs> it's to really do true. It's really yeah. true. And we would like, we would take all of our money and buy bigger machines to do this on. And so whispers in the gloom, 
I remember we were really trying to do something really cool. And it's based on, you know, my mentor, Art Bell, for radio. He, uh, he had a night when a guy called in an Area 51 caller, and it was this big, I'm scary a big fan thing. Of Art Bell. Yeah. yeah, Art was, uh, was, he was my mentor. He's, he was, uh, he even, right before he passed, he had his own network online, and my show was one of the shows he carried uh, on. I actually video. did not know that. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he was a really, really good guy. And we wrote the script from Whispers in the Gloom kind of together. And it, it was this alien invasion movie and it's, it's really crazy. And it turned out really good. I don't know (laughs) about the CG. Now there's one, um, transformation near the end of Moonchild, And there's some really cool stuff, uh, that's practical with stuff like bulging out of the heads, which I really like, but there's a part that, uh, I don't know if it's CG is the right term, but like, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. How, How did you pull that off? Well, at that time, believe it or not, Terminator had come out and they were just starting to play with morphing technology. Okay. And I actually knew some cats out in LA who said, look, you know, we can't do a lot, but if you send us the files, you know, you can come out here and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make this work. So I ran out there and, um, we basically kind of tried and tried to make it work. Then they said, here, look, it's getting late. And, it, and they were doing this on their off time, you know, kind of sneaking me in. So they gave me the software and they told me, here, there's a copy of the software. Take this back with you. This is what we could do. And we did it. And it, it looked okay, but it, it needed some tweaking because back then the, we had a blue screen and we had to do this whole thing where we cut him out and it was just a big mess. And so um, it took a lot longer than we thought it would. So I took the software back. This guy had a, he was one of the producers on the, on the movie and he had a pretty good computer set up. We put the software on and we started working on it and it took about, I don't know, two or three days of trial and error, but we figured out how to get it pretty close. And then I had to go in and hand fix the mat lines. Uh, I had to erase those by hand, frame by frame, which is what really took the longest time, even though it's a very short sequence of him morphing into this thing. Um, we did it on the cheap. And I, I think we were actually the first micro budget film to have any morphing at all. And I know J.R. Bookwalter did it also on ozone, but I, and on a, maybe, maybe we were like the second zero budget movie to ever use uh, the morphing effects. And he had a much better system than we did too. He had the Amiga also the big video toaster and it had some really higher end, software than what we had but we did we did it we made it work and uh yeah it was a lot of work but it turned out nice uh, it, for for its time you know yeah, now no, i look at it I'm like I it's a little it, crude but no it's fun <laughs> i i love uh, i love the transformations this where actually uh if this part's on a video but i'm wearing my uh, america world from london shirt i thought it would tie in a little bit but yeah no i loved it and i really love i really enjoyed mood child i want everyone to know that and not and and i don't want it to come off in a way like i think it was so you know bad good not like that it's really fun movie and it, it comes through in the movie and there's this nostalgia factor for me we see so much 80s nostalgia like kind of fake nostalgia i think where they just throw rubik's cubes and everything constantly <laughs> but like this like it, it reminds me of the time you know when i was 18 and 94 and we'd hang out at abandoned places and i don't think people really do that so much anymore and we play D and would go out and make stuff up and 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 trench coats and the and the mullets and yeah it's got that 90s feel and it's a it's just really a good time 
Well, I really appreciate that. I don't know if you've seen Bone Hill Road. You mentioned transformation. Yes. Yeah. But uh, Bone Hill Road, I, I, I know if you saw that, you would really like the transformation we did in there for like a dollar thirty. We did a really cool transformation. I was so proud. Joe Castro, we went out to LA and we went in Joe's garage and we made it look like uh, we basically decorated his garage to look like the set wow. that we were on. And uh, we, we recreated it. And then we did a whole transformation right there in his garage. And it was so amazing. I couldn't believe we, we pulled it off because we didn't have hardly any money, but we did it on yeah. the Bone Hill Road werewolf movie. So. Yeah, I'd recommend yeah. Bone Hill Road to people out there. I love werewolf movies, and uh, that is one of the, the most fun ones of modern day. Oh, wow. Thank you. I, I, I was, wow. I'm, I'm honored. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I know you got some more uh, interviews coming up, so we'll cut it off here, but uh, we should do another one sometime. I, man, anytime you want me, you know, I, I just love talking to you because you're, you're an amazing guy. You get it, you know, and you understand it. And, uh, and just like I said earlier, you guys doing this, you really, I can't stress enough how important this is to me, you know, and I don't know about other guys out there, but for me personally, you know, I'm honored that you guys bring me on the show. It's really great. Yeah, and I appreciate you coming on. Moon Child, October 11th. Yeah, yes. I, yeah. All right, we're good. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, buddy. Yes. Yeah.